The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're right here in the crux of this book, and we have seen the natural events of the enemies and the adversaries of Jerusalem trying to thwart and detract and slow down the advancement of this great work of the rebuilding of the wall, and they have been faithful to press through that and to overcome the attacks of Satan, and Satan has a few attacks left in his desire to try to halt this great work before it comes to completion, but with this chapter here in Nehemiah chapter 6 is where they do reach completion, and uh, the final culmination of this work, this burden that Nehemiah had, and Lord providentially opening doors at every step of the way, they continue to overcome all these obstacles and the attacks of Satan. <clears throat> and then the, the pinnacle of this, the culmination of this, is they finish the rebuilding of this wall in only 52 days. So we want to look at this here in Nehemiah chapter 6, look at some continued encouragement for, for these uh, final attacks of Satan, and thankfully look at their resolve to press through those to the uh, culmination of the the completion of this wall to the glory of Jehovah God. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent, Sam, <clears throat> then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it was reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. And I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened, from the work that it not be done. Now, therefore, 
O God, strengthen my hands. And afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehatabil, who was a shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee, who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these works and on the prophetess <clears throat> Noadiah, the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, which is the the sixth month, in 52 days. And it came to pass when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things that they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah and his son Johanan had the daughter of Meshalam and the son of Berechiah and they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Okay, <clears throat> thank you for bearing with me there. In Nehemiah chapter 4 we have seen the beginning attacks of Satan of ridicule and mocking and no one likes to be the butt of jokes. No one likes to be made fun of and ridiculed. Uh, but they put their blinders on, they stopped up their ears, and they got back to work. And then they threatened their life. They said, we're going to kill anybody that continues to work on this wall. And I, I want to highlight uh, some wording here in Nehemiah chapter 4 that we didn't highlight when we were over there. But today we see that they're pretty much done with the wall, okay? They, they've completed the the majority of the actual construction of the wall the only thing they have left are the gates and the doors so they have to put the finishing touches on it but a wall is you know it's good to have a really good wall but uh, it doesn't do you much good if there's still an open gap where the gate is right so obviously they had to finish the uh, the wall all the way to completion but they're they're 90 95 percent done if you will and again, just remember the magnitude of this great work, a mile and a half around the city, most likely this wall, 25 feet tall, eight feet wide, just the magnitude of this work. There's, there's no way that men outside of the um, injecting providence and power of God being manifested, that this, uh, there is no, <laughs> uh, in my job, we work a lot with, uh, construction companies that's our that's our focus uh, area 
And let me tell you, there is no construction job, let alone this big, that's done in 52 days, right? It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And God allowed them to mobilize and to remain in unity to overcome all these obstacles so that even the wicked, that's what we see by the end of this, even those that opposed him, them that were trying to tear down this work at every, every stage, at the end of it, the only thing that they could say is that this work was wrought of Jehovah God, right? Even the enemies gave credit to God because they knew that these Jews were not equipped to finish this work in finish the work at all, let alone in such record time. But <clears throat> I want to highlight what, what we see there in Nehemiah chapter 6 is they're right at the end, but they have to press through all the way to the end to make sure that they actually complete the wall to secure the city to protect themselves from the enemies that desire to hurt and to battle against God's people. <clears throat> so the final attacks that Satan uses through Zambalad and Tobiah and Geshem is distractions. They're right there at the end. They've remained fervent all the way through even the threat of life, the threat of losing their physical life. But now we're right there at the end, and let's see if we can get Nehemiah to take his eye off the ball. Distraction. And I want to highlight some language here in Nehemiah chapter 4 that we really didn't spend time to focus on. And that is the word rubbish. Rubbish. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. The scoffers say, what do these feeble Jews? Uh, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? So there were still remnants of the former wall of the stones that were broken down, that were burned. And at this point, they may have been useful in the past. They may have been profitable in the past. But at this point, they are just rubble that is vain and empty and not useful for the work that they've been called to do. Now, we proceed here through this chapter, and they threaten them. They say, we're going to kill you. If you keep working on this wall, we're going to kill you. And they cave initially. They cave initially because of fear, because of the fear of this threat. They initially say, we can't do this work. We can't continue on this work to rebuild this wall. But notice the way that they, notice the way they frame it, okay? Uh, what happened is that they got afraid, which, by the way, well, I want to highlight that when we get back to Nehemiah chapter 6. We have this interlaced all throughout this story, but we especially have it highlighted in Nehemiah chapter 6 is one of Satan's most effective tactics is to have us consumed with fear. Because if we are afraid, especially, you can be afraid of anything, but when you are afraid of losing your physical life, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, by the way, says that God has delivered us from the fear of death through all our lifetime are subject to bondage. God has delivered us from the fear of death through what? through Jesus Christ on the cross, right? He's delivered us from the fear of death. But when someone threatens your life, you're naturally going to get afraid, right? So what they do is that fear begins to grow. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, fear has torment. I think we can all amen that, can't we? Fear has torment, but perfect love casts out fear. 
okay? I don't have time to build this the way I really want to, but faith works by love, okay? So the engine of faith, the engine of faith is love, and perfect love casts out fear. How do we conquer this type of fear, this tormenting fear that Satan tries to uh, cause us to detract from the work that we're doing, but crippling, paralyzing, tormenting fear, what's the remedy for that? It's faith in God, okay? I don't have time to really build this the way I want to. Uh, I was really getting stirred up about that this morning as I was meditating on this. The, the remedy for fear is simply faith and trust in God. And where, where does faith and trust in God come from? It funnels right back to perfect love, right? What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all of our mind. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us and he sent his son to die for us. So if you ever begin to doubt, is God going to provide for me in the midst of this situation? The only thing you need to do is look to the cross, right? You need to look at the perfect expression, because perfect love casts out fear. Look at the perfect expression of love that was displayed on the cross, and that should encourage your faith. And faith is going to conquer fear every day, all the day, okay? But what happens when fear grows and faith is diminished. What happens? Look how quickly these people that are zealous, they're fervent, they're excited for this work. Look how quickly this fear grows and they throw in the towel. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. I mean, we, we had strength and encouragement a couple hours ago, <laughs> but somebody told us that they're going to kill us and now we don't have any strength. We don't have any. I'm going to bear with me. I want to jump ahead here. Nehemiah chapter uh, 6, they, they threatened Nehemiah. They tried to deceive him to, to uh, leave the work. They sent four letters to try to get him to go to a, uh, a meeting location for the purpose of injuring him, for the purpose of killing him. And then that didn't work, so they just started slandering him by sending rumors out. And what was the purpose of this? Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 9. For they all made us afraid. Their desire was to make them afraid. Because what happens when we get afraid? We just, we cripple, right? We, 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 we can't work zealously in the kingdom when we are so focused on this paralyzing fear. And they know that. Satan knows that. Uh, they all made us afraid, saying, what is their desire in making us afraid? And in this context, by the way, I mean, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. But in this context... They're trying to stir up fear by slander and rumors and gossip, okay? But they made us afraid. What was their goal in making them afraid? Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done, you know? Um, have you seen uh, a project? Again, they're 90, 95% done. But uh, have you ever seen a project that was 90, 95% done that never got completed all the way at the end, right? How embarrassing would it be to build the whole wall and then there, there'd be no gates on the wall, right? But their goal here was to make them afraid because, boy, Satan knows this so well. When we get afraid, our hands are weakened. Is that not exactly what happened two chapters before that? They get afraid. They threaten their life. Again, that was a vain, empty threat. We've talked about that. What they should have done, God's not given us a spirit of fear, by the way. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. God's not given us the spirit, spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should be able to reason by faith with that sound mind that God has given us that God has called us to this great work of rebuilding this wall and God has blessed us all along the way. Why should we doubt that God is going to allow us to be killed right here at the very end, right? They should have reasoned by faith that God, <clears throat> excuse me, that God is going, that has protected us uh, in the first, we don't know exactly when these, these letters were written, but let's just say it was the last week. God's that protected us in the first 45 days of this great work. He's clearly going to protect us in the last seven days of this work. But what was Satan's desire? Is to take their eye off the ball, to get them afraid, and their hands would be weakened. And look how well it worked initially in Nehemiah chapter 4. Fear of their own life takes hold. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't have the, we don't have the strength to complete this work. Well, actually, by the way, side note, that's kind of been the point all along, right? <laughs> yes, you don't have the strength to complete this work. And God's power and greatness is, is manifested in what? In our weakness, right? That's, the point is that you don't have the ability to complete this work. And that's why God's so glorified in you completing the work in 52 days, right? We don't have the ability to strengthen this work. And notice their, notice their excuse, by the way, okay? Boy, we get afraid. We start compromising. We start making excuses. Oh, but there is much rubbish. There's a, there's a lot of obstacles in the way. There's a lot of vain, empty things. And that's the reason. <laughs> Boy, we like to deflect, don't we? That's the reason why we can't do this anymore. You don't know what it boiled down to. It boiled down to fear. Okay. They were afraid. What's the conquering uh, remedy to overcome fear? Faith and love. Faith and perfect love, okay? But notice, their excuse for why we can't do this great work is what? There's much rubbish. There's much rubbish. And what's being described there in rubbish is just these remainder of the broken down walls that's not useful for anything, it's not profitable. There may have been a time where it was profitable but it's not profitable anymore. And boy, is there so many things in our lives that consume so much of our attention, consume so much of our time, that I think could easily be considered, not just that we have some rubbish, but that we have much rubbish, much rubbish. And the point here is that those are the things that can easily get you distracted from what you are called to do in the kingdom of God and in service to God, okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, first and foremost. Now, we have obligations, we have responsibilities in many areas of life, but we have to keep the correct prioritization of, who, of the kingdom of God and what we've been called to do. Okay, back to Nehemiah chapter 6. <clears throat> what they try to do here is they try to, Nehemiah is being used as this great leader, this bold leader to galvanize the people of God in the rebuilding of this wall. And he had already seen before he stood up in faith to say that God is going to bless us in this work. He had already seen how quickly the people had crumbled 
when they received threat and fear uh, grew up in their, in their mind and in their heart, and they immediately threw in the towel until Nehemiah stood up and said, God's going to prosper us. God's going to bless us, okay? And Nehemiah understood through that that if I, as a leader of the people, if I get distracted and I leave the work, then the work will at a minimum be diminished. But he says here in verse 3, the work will probably cease. It's so vitally important that we have good, strong, bold leadership for people to follow in the kingdom of God, okay? But notice, these are the final attacks of Satan, okay? And the final attack here is distractions, rubbish, ultimately slander, and then deception to get Nehemiah to sin because of fear. Okay, let's look at the first of these. Distractions. <clears throat> Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some of the villages, the plain of Ono, and they sought to do him mischief. So essentially this was just a setup. Okay? We want you to come out here in this remote area and we're gonna we're gonna try to kill you. We're gonna try to do you mischief, but our goal would be to kill you. And he did not take the time to even answer this himself. He sent messengers. And notice this, this focus, this prioritization. It says in the, uh, in the New Testament, this is a, a rebuke against God's people, but he says, thine eye has not been single. I like that mental picture of having a single eye, having, having our eyes focused on what our real goals are, what our real priorities are. And if you do that, then you can put everything else in perspective, okay? We have obligations in many different areas, but every single one of those obligations has to be viewed through the prism of putting the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life, okay? Now, he had enough wisdom through the Holy Spirit to realize this was a trap, okay? But is there anything wrong with taking a meeting with somebody, you know? If they, if they had good intention, which they didn't. But is there anything wrong with, you know, having a, a meeting with somebody to discuss business? But in this instance, he knew through a clarity of the Holy Spirit, he knew that the time now is for rebuilding. Remember we talked about last week about internal division, how Satan tried to send internal division in Nehemiah chapter 5? And... That was during harvest time, and it was, it was a very reasonable request, a very reasonable premise that during harvest time, you should take a break from the rebuilding of this wall to go and harvest your crops because we got taxes to pay, we got mortgages to pay, we got kids to feed, right? But <clears throat> the emphasis there is that at this time, in this moment in history, the right thing for them to do was not to go harvest crops, okay? The work that God had called them to do in this moment was to focus singularly on the rebuilding of this wall. And because Nehemiah understood that, because he had the right prioritization of his responsibilities in his life, he was able to say, verse 3, I sent messengers unto them. I am doing a great work 
so that I cannot come down, why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you, <laughs> right? I'm doing something that's more important than, even if they were, if you weren't trying to kill me, I'm doing something that's more important than meeting with you. I don't have time for that. I tell you, we really have to, oh boy, I, I feel like, uh, <laughs> we went on a trip. When we, when we went to California, uh, yeah, you know, you go on a vacation and you, you set your priorities right when you go on vacation, right? You have a little bit more time on your hands to think clearly. And I, I remember when we took that trip to California a few months ago, I realized that I was not doing very good in time management. And my goal when I came back is like, you know what? My time is about to be vaporized when this kid shows up. So therefore, I have to be very diligent in time management. And I really have to make sure that I set a schedule. And I, and I really have to make sure I'm diligent in um uh, Using, I've got plenty of time. I just waste my time on much rubbish, right? So I set goals there when I was coming back. When I get back home, you know, I'm going to work out, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I set a schedule to make sure I manage my time well. And I can tell you, three months later, it just plum hasn't happened, right? Because that's life. That's right. That's life, isn't it? But we have to have a prioritization for how we manage our time, for how we manage our finances, for how we manage all the responsibility. Because you know what? There's going to come a lot of requests here in your life. There's going to come a lot of pressures. There's going to become a lot of obligations. And in and of themselves, many of them are not, are not sinful, right? But let me tell you, if God has called you to a great work, you got to make sure that that is your focus, okay? It's all about prioritization. And he said, look, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to meet with you because I have a great work to do. And he was focused. He was concentrated. His eye was single. His eye was on the prize. And they thought they could maybe wear him down, okay? He said he didn't have time now, so they asked him three more times, right? They, asked, they sent him four times. Asked him four times, and his answer was the same, same every time. I'm doing a great work. I, I don't have time for you, especially my enemies. <laughs> I mean, maybe I might have time to go visit, you know, my family that care about me and love me, but I sure don't have time to go spend, go spend time with my enemies, right? So that didn't work. Why? Because his eye was single. His eye was focused. Putting the kingdom of God first and foremost, okay? So now, that didn't work. You know, Satan's, Satan's running out of time. He's running out of options. So now what, now what does he resort to? Slander, gossip, rumors. Nehemiah chapter 5, excuse me, verse 5. <clears throat> then sent Sambalad his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time, okay? He asked him four times to go meet with him, and now he's sending the fifth one. But notice he sends this in an open letter. So obviously you send a letter. The intention there is that it's sealed, and that it remains sealed until it gets to the recipient. They open it, and they're the ones who receive the message, right? But Sambalat, he knew what he was doing. He sent an open letter, right? Because the purpose of this was slander and gossip. Wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen. And Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king according to these words. 
And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, let us take counsel together. So again, they're still trying to get him to meet out in this remote location and try to kill him. And, boy, that's, that's hard, isn't it, right? When, when you hear things about yourself that you know are not true, it is so against our nature to follow the pattern. Now, now, when it talks about reviling, it talks about Jesus, that when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he commended himself to him that judges. Um, that, that's more of a personal interaction, right? You're in person and someone is, is in person reviling you. And you know what? If, you, if, you, if you're in the room, you have every right to defend yourself, right? You have every right to speak the truth in love and defend yourself. But boy, is it not hard when you hear false, slanderous rumors about you for your first response to be, I have to go set that straight with everybody, okay? And boy, they were expecting him to fall into that trap, right? If, if you think that this work is too great for you to leave it, I know you're not going to leave based on substance, but I think that you might leave to meet with us if we can slander you enough and we can get you there. Okay, And boy, I'm still learning this process. I'm still learning this myself, but I, I think I've at least got a little bit of a kindergarten education of, to grow, uh, to learn a little bit better. But boy, it's so important that we learn. We have to have enough faith to trust our, entrust our reputation to God. Okay? Because boy, it's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's so hard when you hear things that are slanderous about you, gossip that's not true. You want to go to every single person and say, let me tell you like it really is, right? <laughs> let me tell you the truth. Listen, we need to worry about our character. We need to worry about our, our manner of life, of godly discipleship, hopefully, and those that truly know us. And I will tell you, if you do that, God will take care of your reputation. God will defend your, you don't have to defend your reputation. God will defend your reputation. Brother Bryce Lawrence <clears throat> wrote a really great book. I've, I've enjoyed consulting that as we went through Nehemiah. Rebuild um, discipleship lessons from Nehemiah. A lot of, a lot of really good points in that. <clears throat> um, I want to go back to actually our first point of distractions um, and note some things that, uh, that Brother Bryce said. We'll come back to this in, in just a minute. But <clears throat> um, in that book, I, I appreciated Brother Bryce noting this. Uh, because when he says I'm doing a great work, um, sometimes that word great work we put up on a really high pedestal, okay? You know, rebuilding of, obviously, this is a great work, isn't it, right? <laughs> rebuilding of a, of a broken down wall. But you want to know what the real great works are in discipleship. It's not, it's not for emissions, okay? There's a place for that. God, God opens the door, go through that door. He opened a door for me, and I'm thankful I had an opportunity to go. And, and we've had interactions with people, and thankful we've had a chance to be a blessing to them. But listen, great works in the kingdom. I appreciated the way Brother Bryce put this. Great works in the kingdom. Walking like Christ is a great work. Raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is a great work. Reading our Bibles and going to church faithfully are great works. Visiting the sick and nursing homes are a great work. Doing the menial task. Listen. 
the great works that build the kingdom. We want to be kingdom builders, okay? The great works that build the kingdom is just, <clears throat> you want to know how this wall got built in 52 days? By everybody committed to just working hard all day long for 52 days on, the, on their portion of the wall, right? That's how it got done, right? You know, they didn't, it didn't get done by these glamorous works. I mean, it was just, it was just daily committed faithful hard work <laughs> and those are the great works because that daily faithful commitment when you look at that in the cumulative that's how great works get done okay we put great works up here on this pedestal listen great works is just your daily faithful discipleship okay and also appreciated that again focus distraction not letting distractions waver you from your focus, from your priorities, and from your goals. He, he uh, quoted this line in number 422, Palms of Victory, the third verse. The song, I hope you remember this song, I saw a wayward traveler in tattered garments clad, right? He's struggling up the mountain, and it seemed that he was sad, and he's struggling, and, and it's very easy to get weary in well-doing, right? It's very easy to get discouraged, but I noticed, I appreciated the, the clarity that he highlighted this particular verse, the third verse, Palms of Victory, number 422 in our book. The songsters in the arbor that stood beside the way. There's nothing wrong with listening to get singing, right? The songsters in the arbor that stood beside the way attracted his attention, inviting his delay. But he kept pressing onward. Excuse me. His watchword being onward, he stopped his ears and ran, still shouting as he journeyed, deliverance will come. Why did he do that? Because he had a goal, right? He was focused on where he was going. And there's nothing wrong with listening to good good music, right? The songsters in the arbor. But you know what? I don't have time. They're inviting my delay. <laughs> and I don't have time for that. I have to redeem the time. I have to make the best use of the time I've been given. And I don't have time to waste. Okay? I appreciated that prioritization. Another quote that Brother Bryce had. The premise of it is that Hopefully, we can live a godly enough life that when those that truly know us hear of false rumors, their first assumption is that that's hogwash. Okay? Now, the other side of that, <laughs> I hate to say, there's some people that I know them pretty well, and I hear rumors, and it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I, I could see them doing that, even if it's a negative thing, I hope. I hope that our manner of life is manifested, our light shines in such a way that when people hear slanderous rumors about us, their first inclination is to say, that's not true. That's not true. I know him. I know his character. I know her character. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is at the end of the Beatitudes. And we love the Beatitudes, right? <clears throat> There's a lot of beautiful promises in the Beatitudes. But right at the end of them, right after the blessing of persecution, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Boy, it takes a lot of Christian maturity to view yourself as blessed in verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and notice this, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Now, by the way, if they say all manner of evil against you, don't give them a reason to say it in truth, right? If, if, if we're living in a way that we shouldn't, we need to repent. But hopefully they're saying it against you falsely, and not just against you falsely in general, but for Christ's sake. What should be our response to that? View ourselves in a blessed condition when man, men say all men are evil against you falsely and rejoice, verse 12, and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. <clears throat> and I will also add, great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But boy, it's hard to see yourself in a blessed condition when people are saying all manner of evil against you falsely, isn't it? Right? That's hard. That's hard. But if you have enough faith to entrust your reputation over to the Lord, He will always perfectly defend you. I hope I have some people in my corner that would be willing to defend me, and I hope they go to the bat for me. But you know what? I would rather have the Lord defending me than anybody. Okay? First Peter <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 14. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror. See that connection, by the way? People are going to try to get you afraid. By how? Satan works in terror. <laughs> Don't be afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. We know this word first well, right? And be ready always to give an answer. And if, if people say, you know, if you're just dealing with a general situation, in that situation, it's fairly easy to say, okay, okay, I'm going to approach this situation. I'm going to answer in meekness and fear, right? But boy, it's a whole lot harder to answer in meekness and fear when you feel like you've been slanderously attacked, right? Well, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to not get emotional. It's hard to not let your emotions take control. And he says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer, a defense to every man that asketh you in meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You want to know why you're in good company? If, if you are faithful enough, God bless us. Please embolden us and give us enough strength to where the only tactic Satan has left is slander. Amen? <laughs> Let's not cave. Let's not cave to all of those early attacks because if you've got to slander, you're doing something right. <laughs> if Satan doesn't have anything else than to just throw a bunch of lies against the wall to try to get you afraid and try to deceive other people. If he's resorted to slander, then you're, you're, you've been very faithful. Okay? But he says, commend yourself over to the Lord to defend you. Because that's what they had to do. Listen, we are following as disciples of Christ in Jesus' footsteps. They had no right to accuse him, did they? He was declared by Pilate to be totally innocent before he crucified him and he caved to the political pressure. The only thing that they could do against Satan, uh, the only thing they could do against Jesus was what? False lies, false reports, and slander. So if you are being 
slandered for righteousness sake, that's why you can view that as a blessed condition because you are walking with Jesus Christ in suffering. You are walking with Jesus Christ in that. And we commend vengeance over to the Lord. You know, it's not my place. It's not my place to ultimately judge them for their sin of trying to slander a person's good character in Jesus Christ. You want to know what I do? I commend them over to the Lord. Okay? God will take vengeance upon them. And if we live in such a way where our godly character speaks for itself, the only tactic that anyone would have against us is just simply lies. Lies and slander. And notice how Nehemiah is just so, he's so resolute. He's so content in his character that he says, you know what? Verse 8, back in Nehemiah chapter 6, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thy own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, thy, their hands shall be weakened from the work uh, that it be not done. Okay? Which, by the way, it was, this was a very easy lie to cut through because, again, the king had approved him to go, right? It's very obvious that he was not going back to make himself a king. He was going under the submission of the authority of the Persian king, right? You know, lies are so easy to cut through when you have the truth, right? And we have to be comfortable letting God, who is the truth, cut through the lies of the enemy, okay? God is faithful. God is faithful to entrust your reputation to. Okay? Now, again, slander didn't work. He still didn't go. He still didn't go to meet with them. So now, in hopes that maybe Nehemiah would, right here at the very end, would be so afraid of his natural life, they would try to trick him to actually committing a sin so they would have something to hold against him. Now, what they say here, they send a false prophet, by the way. If they send a false prophet. We ha- it doesn't matter who the messenger is. Me, all the faithful people in the church, we can all be deceived. We can all have wrong-headed ideas. It doesn't matter who the messenger is, even if it's me. You vet that message by the word of God. Okay? Because they send someone who appears to be a prophet, who appears to be speaking uh, out of his best interest. I heard they're going to try to kill you, so the best way for you to take, uh, take shelter to where you're not killed is for you to hide in the temple. He didn't have the right to go in the temple. He wasn't a Levite. Okay? But the hope was is that he was so afraid of his natural life that he would lose sight of what was right and wrong, and I'm just going to flee into the temple because that's my only place of safety. And if he did that, now they have a legitimate accusation to accuse him of because that's contrary to God's word, okay? But Nehemiah was very easily uh, discerned that. Why? Because he knew that was contrary to the word of God. If anybody, it doesn't matter who the messenger is, if anybody tells you to do anything that's contrary to the word of God, you can immediately say, That's not of the Lord. Even if it's a godly messenger, right? I mean, Peter was deceived at uh, various times in his life. 
And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, good godly people can give you bad advice sometimes. What's the standard for that? What's the standard for what's right and wrong? It's always the word of God. Okay? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, try the spirits. What do you try the spirits by? The word of God. Galatians chapter 1. Because verse 8. He said, if anyone, even an angel from heaven tells you any other gospel than the gospel that I sent you, you let him be accursed. Which, by the way, there's a really good story back in the Old Testament. Uh, feels like it might be in the book of Judges. There was a man who was told by the Lord, don't do this. And there was a man who said, an angel told me to do this. And he, he, he submitted to that and he got killed by the end of it. Why? Because he got deceived. Because Satan, don't, don't forget, angel, uh, Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Okay? Mm -hmm. Even if somebody says, an angel from heaven told me this, and if it's contrary to the word of God, you say that's not true. It's just simply not true. So he cuts through that, okay? Now, if he would have made this mistake, he would have had a legitimate sin against him, okay? But he's able to discern that. He's able to discern that this is not of the Lord. Why? Because he knew it's so important. You know, we talked earlier about the building of the wall, building on the wall and having a sword by our side, we have to be skillful in the sword of the Spirit. We have to be skillful in the Word of God, right? Because or how are you going to discern those attacks of Satan in the moment if you don't know the Word of God enough to say, that's a lie, ignore that, right? That's how well we need to wield the sword of the Spirit, okay? Is that we can just very quickly say, that's not right, that's not of the Lord, I don't care who the messenger is. That's not of the Lord. Why? Because it's contrary to God's word. We, need, we have to know the word of God well enough. We have to be skillful enough in the sword of the spirit to be able to discern that quickly. And we have to know it, hide it in our heart well enough that we can discern it in our weakest moments. Right? I tell you, Satan, Satan didn't tempt Jesus when he went into the wilderness. He didn't tempt him with food right after they just had a big old feast at the, at the wedding of Cana. Right? When did he tempt him with food? After he had fasted for 40 days. It's in our weakest moments that Satan will give us the easy, the easy option. And boy, we have, to, we have to be sober. We have to be vigilant because he's going to tell you to do something that if, we're, if we don't have our guard up, we're going to blindly do something that's contrary to God's word. And now people have a legitimate you know, there, there was no legitimate accusations against Nehemiah. But if he would have, and notice the goal here. The goal here was for him to be afraid and to make a mistake. And boy, aren't we so vulnerable? Aren't we so vulnerable to make, if, if your head's in it, right? If you're focused, if you have clarity of thought and clarity of vision, if you know the word of God, you can immediately say, well, that's not true. But boy, what if your head is clouded with fear and doubt and torment, the torment of fear? What if your head is clouded by all that? Well, you could very easily, unwittingly make a mistake, right? But thankfully, Nehemiah's head is clear. His vision is clear. And he immediately says, that's not of the Lord. Why? Because it's contrary to the word of God. <clears throat> So now they complete the work, okay? They complete the work in only 52 days, less than two months. 
Less than two months. Remember, Nehemiah prayed about this for four months. It took him three months of traveling to get there. And then it only took him less than two months to even get this impossible work done, right? And it wasn't through a good construction management program. It wasn't through a skillful, uh, mapped-out execution plan. They look at these at these uh, farmers and these Jews that don't know anything about building, and they look at them and they say, how in the world did this happen? Even the enemies, verse 16, and it came to pass. It says in, I want to turn up there and read that. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much, well, verse, verse 17 first, recompense to no man evil for evil, right? We don't have the right to do that as disciples of Christ. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Isn't it great to see the coals of fire being heaped on the heads of these enemies? You want to know what, you want to know what the coals of fire being heaped on their head is? These are people that hate the people of God. These are people that hate Jehovah God. And even they could only reach the conclusion. It came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down. <laughs> Boy, doesn't it, doesn't it make you happy, right? Doesn't it make you happy to see the wicked cast down when the righteous are proud? I, I just, I love the book of Esther so much. I love the story of Esther. And I just, I wish I could be there as a disciple of Christ to see the look on Haman's face. <laughs> Oh, I can envision it in my head. To see the look on Haman's face when he thought he was going in there to kill Mordecai, and then the king told him, you're going to parade him all around town and tell him. And, and, glory. and then about a couple days later, he was hung on the same gallows that he made for Mordecai. Listen, the Lord knows how to defend his people, okay? He knows how to defend your reputation. He knows how to defend the work that you've been called to do. And he's so much better at it than we are. Amen? <laughs> he's so much better at it than we are. And in a righteous way, Lord bless us if it's not in a righteous way, but isn't it good to see the enemies of the people of God having to heap, have the, those coals of fire heaped on top of their head. And one of the main ways that that happens is that they look at this and they're cast down because they've been trying to tear, tear this work down the whole time. And the only conclusion that the enemies of God can reach for they perceived, into verse 16, that this work was wrought of our God. <laughs> That's the coals of fire on their head that they can't stand, right? And it gives us a lot of satisfaction <laughs> to see the wicked through the, you know, Jesus said, if uh, the stones would cry out in glory. Isn't it great to see the wicked Boy, that's going to happen all at the last day, isn't it? But isn't it good to 
We see that happen from time to time here in this world, that even the wicked who hate the, the people of God, hate Jehovah God, that even they have to proclaim this was a work of God, right? These, these, these ragtag Jews couldn't have done this. This is a work of God. And then, well, I tell you, Satan just never gives up. Daddy. He, just, he just never relents. Even after they completed this work, these enemies are still trying to intimidate them. And this chapter concludes in verse 19. They're talking about Tobiah. He had, there's a lot to be said here. They were intermarried. That's contrary to the word of God. They had to, uh, they had to deal with that in Nehemiah 13. It doesn't have anything to do with ethnicity. But these people were pagan worshipers. And he says, don't marry them because if you do, you're going to be tempted to fall into idolatry. And the people of God ignored the command of God. They married people they shouldn't have married. And then, lo and behold, what happened? They went into idolatry. You know, surprise, surprise. God told them exactly what was going to happen. They disobeyed the word of God, and now they got to live it out. Okay? So Tobiah was intermarried, and he was married to a Jew. His son was married to a Jew. So he had a lot of political and family connections. Okay? But notice, even after the Lord, the Lord had done this mighty work in the rebuilding of this wall, and those enemies had to proclaim that God did this work. Even then, concluding verse 19, Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Listen, Satan always tries to work in fear. The spirit of fear doesn't come from the Lord. The spirit of fear comes from Satan. And he's given us the ability to overcome that. He's given us the, the power to overcome that through faith and through, through many other mechanisms. Okay, to conclude message today, I want to go to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> book of Revelation. And particularly during this, this battle that's been going on in Jerusalem in a natural sense of the rebuilding of the wall and the enemies of God versus the people of God and then there's a spiritual warfare that's going on in heavenly places while this is happening on the earth. Okay? <clears throat> and they overcome all the attacks of Satan and they complete this great work. So one of the primary themes of the entire book, but especially of this section where they're overcoming all these obstacles, is overcoming the attacks of Satan through faith, okay? Overcoming the attacks of Satan. And we've told you before in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there is a promise to Every child of God that overcomes, there is, there is blessed promises to those who overcome. Okay, But I want to highlight one of them. <clears throat> this is in the, the message to the church at Philadelphia. Okay, This is Revelation chapter 3, begins in verse 7, and then we'll look at verse 12. But I've talked to you before about the church at Philadelphia. Okay, church of Philadelphia is a church that there was nothing negative said about. You know, he raked these other churches over the coals. There was nothing negative said about the church of Philadelphia. And he said, I've set before you an open door. And I've, I've always kind of identified with the church of Philadelphia, with us here at Macedonia, because he says, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. 
And that, that applies to many children, uh, children of God. It applies to many small little churches speckled all throughout this world, speckled all throughout uh, this nation, that from the world's eyes, you just have a little strength. But I tell you, we've got nothing but an open door in front of us. Okay? But notice this promise. For those that remain faithful, even if it's just a few of us, you have a little strength. I've said before you an open door, but this is the character of life that we've been talking about. You have kept my word and you've not denied my name. And they're dealing with the sin. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. They're dealing with the lies of Satan. You see? And if you overcome that, if you discern that through the word of God, verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. If you remain faithful, God's going to take care of you when the enemies come. Okay? We have to trust that. God's going to take care of you. Verse 12, to him that overcometh. Again, we hope the whole church overcomes. And if the whole church overcomes, that's called revival. Okay? That's called growth. But I can't control that. I can't control that. What I can control to the best of my ability is me. Him, her, that overcometh. I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Don't, don't miss the... Again, we've been looking at a natural story, but don't miss the spiritual picture, right? They've been rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And yes, there's a new Jerusalem in heaven, but there is a heavenly Jerusalem here in the church and in the kingdom of God right here right now, right? I will make him a pillar, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the, the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down. Now, this is, this is the part that's talking about the kingdom of heaven, in my opinion, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him a new name. And that's our desire, isn't it? By the grace of God, by the unmerited favor, Lord knows we are broken vessels. But our hope and our desire is to be counted worthy as a pillar in the temple. And that's somebody you can build around, right? A pillar is something that's strong. And how did that pillar get strong? It got strong through consistent years of faithfulness in the temptations of Satan, the hard actions of life. That's how you become it. You don't just pop up as a pillar. You have to faithfully endure the attacks of Satan. Okay? And God bless us. God bless us to overcome to the best of our ability the kingdom builders and serve the Lord faithfully in his kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.